3: You're very welcome to Monday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I hope you had a lovely weekend as we sit today. Just three full weeks from Christmas Day. Be a lot of people sitting down for the turkey, etc. Will they really run half one in the day? Three weeks uh, from today it is indeed to Christmas Day. Anyway, it'll fly around. But before all that, there's plenty of late lunch on LMFM to be had, I can tell you. Welcome to the show again. Lots of guests, music and a competition for you on the show this afternoon it's cold out isn't it it's the coldest day of the year in my opinion i'm absolutely freezing i feel the chill in me bones the temperatures are low i think it's the wind chill factor as well but it really is cold out there today. and when you think of the cold i know we have our heating from gas and oil and other sources as well But is there anything to beat an open fire? I don't think so in my book. And, you know, for years and years now, the emphasis has been on smokeless and uh, fuels that don't pollute the environment. Well, my first guest today has certainly found a huge niche in the market because next year, I believe, in June 24, the last of the peat briquettes will roll off the production line here in Ireland. And really, people love the briquettes, but... Alternatives. What are the alternatives? Well, Alan Fox has come up with Willow Warm and it's flying from and he's on the line. Afternoon, Alan.
2: Good afternoon. How are you?
3: I'm really good. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. That is true, isn't it? The last of the Pete is next June, is it? No, it, it, it gone? it's
2: actually it's it's actually already finished. Oh uh, I see. The last production output finished. Uh, in June gone oh, by. Oh, I
3: see. I beg your pardon. I thought it was next yeah. year, but uh, thanks for thanks for clarifying that for me. Anyway, it's gone. So anyway, it's out of the picture now at, at this stage. What about imports of of, of a peat-based product? Does that... Uh,
2: well, there, there have been some imports of a, of a product known as lignite, um, which is a form of brown coal. Um, again, unfortunately, uh, a highly polluting product. It's a, still a fossil fuel mm. Um, and that fuel would be subject to carbon tax uh, in any place that it's sold. Okay. Um, whereas uh, our Willow Warm briquettes are 100% carbon neutral, and uh, therefore don't attract any carbon tax. Yes. Which is very important in these times. But where 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 availability of money to to run the household is is ever tighter.
3: Yes. And, and, you know, you join us today as COP28 is happening in the Middle East and there's a huge focus on what we're talking about and what you're doing as well. Alan, this is a wonderful story. You're an awfully man with your business in County Meath. Tell us about the, the genesis, where this all began with the Willow.
2: My my uh, my company, HDS Energy, um, has been in existence for over 42 years, 43 years, as a designer and manufacturer of large industrial boilers. So the energy space is where I've spent uh, most of my working mm. career. Um, that led me to be very much aware of how dependent Ireland is unimported fossil fuels such as natural gas, oil, coal and the various other products that have been there. Mm. Um, it's always been something near and dear to my heart that one day instead of being a, a person leading the charge on consumption of fuel that I might one day produce a carbon neutral fuel. And I set about that journey about 10 years ago. Um, Took quite a bit of time, quite a bit of money. Um, but fortunately, we've now brought that process to commercial fruition um, with the introduction of willow worm brickets. And that was particularly timely, uh, as you mentioned at the outset, with the old traditional Bordnemona bricket uh, ceasing to exist any longer. Uh, there are thousands upon thousands of homes in Ireland that have and will continue to rely on both an open fire or a stove uh, and and the all-important thing for the future going forward is that the products that we burn in those fires or stoves should be carbon neutral that's that's the critical component and um we're very pleased to be um the first irish manufacturer of a 100 percent carbon neutral uh, wood briquette product um the background to how the product is produced is uh, we are a significant grower of willow uh, as a fast growing um, two year cycle harvest uh, energy crop. And we harvest that willow and process it into the willow warm briquettes. So um, while the willow is growing in the fields, our plant is absorbing carbon from the atmosphere yes. through photosynthesis. And that's the reason why people often ask, well, how is any product that you burn uh, considered to be carbon neutral? And the answer is because our product has absorbed at least the same amount of carbon while growing as it emits when it's burned. Mm and hence the term carbon neutral.
3: Yes. Um, you, you obviously need a, a significant supply. You grow on your own farms as well. Two-year cycle with this. I take it you have other farmers coming on board or on board already who help meet the, your requirements in terms of willow? Uh,
2: absolutely. We, we, have, we have a significant number of large farms that are leased to us uh, for long-term lease. Um, And we grow willow on those farms as well as on our own farms. And that catchment um, is of increasing interest to us. And our expectation is that we will continue to plant about 5,000 or 500 to 1,000 acres per year, every year going forward.
3: And will you, Alan, you know, you talk about crop rotation, well it's in a different context, say with uh, edible crops or whatever. Is it necessary to rotate? So let's say you harvest uh, an area uh, this year uh, and then it's it's fallow. Do you replant it again immediately or how does that work? No,
2: that, that's, that's, that's the real big story with regards to how significant willow is in, in, in the whole carbon neutral uh, discussion. We plant willow once and that plant remains active for 36 to 40 years all right and so every 2 years that plant regrows to give us a fresh harvest but it, the important thing is that we only plow that ground once at I the see. initial establishment of the willow plantation
3: oh that's even better still <laughs> i was just thinking yeah. and thanks so much for, for uh, telling us that because i understand it even more now and i understand the benefits of that too T- tell me honestly you know w- people would be familiar with the traditional peat briquette what's your product like in comparison it, you know um,
2: yeah we 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 obviously anybody starting out uh, in a business development you you take a look at what the market existing market knowledge and what what the existing market products were and the board traditional bale of brickets uh, was was of a similar we we have targeted our willow worm brickets to be of a similar sized bale um, but the the big difference in the way we've presented our product is um, that it's first of all it's wrapped so there's no dust or no dirt from the product while been brought into your sitting room or, or, or your home uh, it, it is available inside the large retail shops because it's safe to be in the same area mm. as food um, and the, the other major attributes is that willow warm is typically less than 1% ash produced from burning the product which when compared to the older products they would all have been 10 or 12 or yes. even 15% ash mm. so yeah, Willow Warm is, is very much a modern product for a modern uh, home um, where people expect cleanliness, um, limited ash, high heat output because the product is virtually dry. It's, it's about 6 to 8% moisture is the finished moisture in our product, which means all the energy produced is energy going to heat your room Mm. or to
3: heat your home. That's good to know because that's the thing about the briquette. It it did that for sure and yours does it it as well. Yeah, I just see you're available now in Dunn's, Circle K, Woody's and Apple Green's and other outlets as well. So you have a a fair network now you're, you're building. Now on the other side of this, You have ambitious plans because you have plans to build a a megawatt willow-burning power station to supply electricity into the grid and to uh, big consumers or large consumers.
2: Yeah, we we, we have sought permission and been granted permission to build actually a 20 megawatt, 20,000 kilowatts per hour, Mm. so a sizable power plant. And all of our permits are in place to proceed with that development. And um, we are currently in discussions with a number of uh, potential power users, such as data centers and other large electricity consumers, because this electricity, again, will be carbon neutral, um, green electricity in that sense.
3: It's a wonderful story, and I have to say you're, you're a significant employer and intend to be an even more significant employer in the Kells area.
2: Yeah, we, we, we currently have just, uh, just like the north of 70 operators uh, at the fuel production plant, which is in Balrath, just outside of Kells. Uh, and we're delighted that the vast majority of those operators uh, uh, or staff members are, for the main part, all local employees, and that's that's a very important thing for us as a company located in this community. And when we proceed now with the new power plant, we expect that that plant will also employ about an additional 75 people. So um, in, the, in the grander scheme of things, we, we should have 150 jobs. And then, of course, externally, we have all of the willow harvesting activity, which is further jobs again, but we're we're relating those on a, on a on a part time basis because harvests only occur at, for a short window, about three months every year.
3: It's a terrific story. You must be so proud. And you took a chance on this because you know, as you say, you you you're forty years in business and you've had your ups and downs over the years. And I know uh, when the crash happened here. Uh, you, that's a great story, of yours <laughs> going into the bank manager to take out all your money.
2: Well. You know, to the, the say, the say the fabric of, of a really good story is, is blended with a degree of truth and some little bit of uh, sprinkling of of, of um, the things that people like to hear. But truthfully, um, yeah, to take away all the, the loss from that part of the story, um, I got very disenchanted with the security of our whole banking situation just around the time of the crash. And, uh, well, with, like most people, you, you worry that you've, you've invested your lifetime savings and you have them sat. And, um, so I, I took a decision that, uh, I had lost confidence, um, in the security of the banking system. And so I decided land was a good asset class. And, uh, as, as the story goes, I withdrew most of that money and, and invested it in buying land which was subsequently planted in Willow. And and I view that as a long-term, secure investment for future generations, for my up-and-coming family and, and future generations of my family.
3: Lovely message there for you. Uh, Listening today are the people at Ferry House Racecourse. Michelle on to us to say thank you to you uh, for supplying them with the complimentary briquettes at Ferry House for the two-day winter festival. It was really appreciated, I can imagine, with the cold there.
2: Well, if if anybody's ever seen how hard those young jockeys and the stable people and all of the staff running those type of operations, we were certainly delighted to be... Uh, a supporter of them with, with sponsorship of this day event that we do uh, every year. Mm. And we just, it was a small token of, of our gratitude and, and, a, and a little show of respect for hard work that's well done.
3: Ah, nice. Uh, real nice touch there. Much appreciated. Um, you, you have Danish links as well. Your wife, Susanna, is, is from Denmark and you like to visit there. Uh, did you pick up anything over there that's guided you here?
2: Um, when, I, when I met my wife all those years back, um, one of the things that was important was I, I had to learn to speak Danish because her parents were of an age that they didn't speak English. So I'm fortunate in that I, I, I managed to learn Danish predominantly from my, my, my wife's mother. But that led to us uh, buying a company in Denmark uh, in subsequent years, a company called Euroterm Energy. And we held that company for about 25 years, and just coming up to when I was starting this whole Willow uh, journey, I disposed of my my Danish holdings uh, to bring some further cash into availability for for this new project. So, yeah, I've I've uh, enormous respect and um, for the the application of energy saving technologies in Denmark. They are. Uh, very, very highly focused on keeping their houses insulated. Uh, um, One of the big things that they were doing, which is very different than anything here, the majority of smaller towns are heated from centralised boilers. So instead of thousands of houses starting up their boiler every evening, um, they would use a a centralised piping system to deliver heat out to thousands of houses. And that has left them very very um, capable of adopting their energy policy mm. and impacting very quickly so as as this energy crisis has bitten in and the emissions crisis uh, the Danish economy has switched an enormous amount of their district heating plants over to biomass wood chip um, which of course is fully carbon neutral yes. and, and that's the kind of opportunity that they have, whereas our policies in Ireland tend to be focused towards what the single house does rather than having some kind of centralised policy. Mm. That is something in in, in in the future that we should be thinking about yes. in, in terms of how our planning is, is managed, but it has to happen from, from the ground up. Yeah. It's, it's not something that you can simply retrofit later on but it is something that we could perhaps learn from here
3: yeah indeed very interesting really really interesting well listen great to catch you today continued success to you with all you do it's a wonderful success story and it's people like you that really make things happen in this world of ours Thank you for joining me on the show today, Alan.
2: I'm I'm very appreciative of the time, Jerry, and and uh, just take the opportunity to wish you and, and all yours a happy Christmas.
3: Many happy returns. Thank you so much all right, indeed. Take, take care now. Well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Alan Fox there, Willow Warm. He's a great man, a far-sighted man, a visionary. These are the people that make things happen, create employment and, you know, contribute so much to this debate that's going on about renewables and the future of this planet of ours. Late lunch, LM, FM Radio. Great to have you with us this afternoon. Don't go anywhere.
0: Come on kids, let's all make Christmas cards. I'd send them in to Jerry Kelly on the late lunch show. On LMFM radio.
3: Thank you, Ava, and they are coming in, Louise. Look at this one here today. We pick some each day to talk about. It says, Happy Christmas. There's a nail funer, a Christmas tree, there's a candle. I think that might be a Christmas cracker. And look at that lovely snowman there as well, Louise. That comes in from Anna. We don't know who Anna's surname is, but it's Anna age six sent that one for me today. Thanks, Anna. Thank you, Anna, for that one. (laughs) At this,
0: Louise. I love that one.
3: We adore this one that came. It says Jerry, and that's me in the front of it. Look, yeah. I, I'm on the very, front. Very, very like it. Isn't that very like mm. me? It's, it's so like me. It says to Jerry, happy Down Christmas. There's the green face. <laughs> to Jerry, happy Christmas from Oshin, age four, granny's number, and it, the, the numbers on it we have, granny's <laughs> house number. I have that. That comes in from Oshin Allen, Smarmore RD, and look what he has in the back. Don't eat too much pudding, Jerry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Isn't that just lovely? Look at what we're doing this Christmas is we're asking your children to make us a Christmas card. Send it in here to Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. It's not a competition. Everybody who sends in a Christmas card to me is in the mix. And we're going to draw at random Christmas week €250 Euro voucher for Shoe City, Castle, Blaney to the first name out and a €50 Euro toy store voucher. And we have two other €50 Euro toy store vouchers for two other card makers as well. So get them into us. Send them into LMFM Radio. Post boxes outside, out of hours. Reception 9 to 4, Monday to Friday. I'll post them into LMFM Radio. We love them, don't we? We absolutely love yep, them. We just want to and fill LMFM with loads of we colour do. and kids and art. And cards and children's art as a showcase. get case. Into trouble
0: with our bosses. Yeah,
3: well we'll, we'll, well, we'll look after that. We'll handle that that for sure we know there's lots of people working on them already so when you have them ready get them into us please schools uh, at home grannies dads mams the whole lot we love your christmas carrots keep them coming coming up after two in the show retired recently mead safety road officer mr mcfinnegan is joining me on the show but taking us up to two do you remember this one at christmas time I tell you, I remember it well. The years are shown. They really, really are. Let's have a listen to this. Do you remember it? Do you know the start of it? Do you remember it, Louise? You don't remember it. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there too. This was a massive Christmas one back in the 70s. Yes, the wombles we had on there before, too. Many listeners saying we sang every word of that song, Jerry, bringing back memories for sure. Uh, another one there uh, to say, Jerry, hope you're well. Um, I, we, I'm i just out at the moment Walking the dogs in the fields It's cold as you said today, Jerry. But I have a good jacket and hat on And to top it all off, Jerry, I'm listening to Late Lunch on the radio Thank you, Mary Matthews For that lovely message to the show today And let me read this one uh, By introduction to my next guest uh, Hi, Jerry. We were coming home from Navin last night On a back road And you wouldn't believe it. We came across a person walking in the dark. We... Barely saw them. They had no illumination in dark black clothes on the wrong side of the road. Uh, no wonder, Jerry. people are badly injured if uh, you behave like this without being illuminated. And thanks for sending us in that message. And I say that by introduction to my next guest because he's a fantastic man. He's been with me many times over the years on Late Lunch. When I tell you he's the former Chief Superintendent of Garda Siakana in the Mead Division. He is currently Chair of Mead's Age-Friendly Alliance and he's just stepped down recently as Mead Road Safety Officer. Mick Finnegan, welcome back to Late Lunch.
4: Thank you very much, Jerry.
3: Thank you for joining me today. Just pick <clears> up <throat> on that one there from Anne. She obviously knew you were joining me today in the show and wanted to highlight that. That's just shocking to contemplate, isn't it, Mick? It no was absolutely
4: and Anne is so right because Anne was very, very lucky probably didn't hit that guy very, very lucky that didn't hit them and it wouldn't be our fault. But that's going on. We're consistently, have been consistently at people. We in, in me, the alone have distributed over uh, 20,000 high visibility items over the last two years. I would say that's not 40% of them being used. They're in the boots of cars, they're in the backs of cars and some of them are not using them. And I've come across exactly what Anne came across and it's sad that people will still do that. And God
3: Almighty, folks! I, I even say it here today. It's 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 a no-brainer that you've got to light off if you're going out these dark evenings. And it's good to light up even if you're walking the footpaths, crossing the roads in urban areas. Never mind rural areas. And make, come up on that point there again. Walking, just tell people again when you're walking a road and you're on the road and there's no footpath, you
4: must walk on the side facing the oncoming traffic. Isn't that it? Correct, Jerry. You walk on the right-hand side of the road, and because when you were on the right-hand side of the road you're on the side of the road where traffic is coming towards you and they have some chance of seeing you because at least you're facing them. If you're on the left-hand side of the road, particularly the case that Anne was talking about there, if you have dark clothes on you, you're on the left-hand side of the road, the motorists simply cannot see you until they're on top of you. Mm. See, always walk on the right-hand side of the road where there's no footpath. If there's a footpath, of course, use the footpath, but otherwise always on the right-hand side of the road.
3: Now, that's uh, towards pedestrians and road users today. Look... You you finished up recently, uh, in in this most important role, role with Mead County Council. How long were you in the job? When when did you start with them?
4: I started with them in late two thousand and six. Okay. And uh I finished up recently with them. I started off, I certainly didn't intend to stay that long, but I loved what I was at and uh we The figures showed that we had some input on it. When I started off back in the late two thousand and six, I was only the second road safety officer appointed in the country. The first ones in Mayo, and the job description we were given really was: try and reduce the number of accidents, try and reduce the number of fatalities on the road. (coughs) So uh, I met the RSA at the time, the Road Safety Authority, and. We met with the management of Meath County Council, with the particularly engineering section in transportation and the guards to come up with some sort of a plan. And you know, realistically, Jerry, the fatality figures are so bad in Meath at that stage. With any effort, you could only improve them. They could Mm -hmm. only go one way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we decided we we came after a number of meetings and we came up with a strategy that we would operate. We called it the three E's: education, uh, engineering, and enforcement. And the education side was given to me. The engineering was with the Mead County Council, the transportation section and the enforcement uh, lay with the Gardaí. And what we did with the uh, education side was we developed uh, road safety programmes for all age groups, including primary schools, secondary schools, colleges, youth clubs, football clubs housing with a lot different uh, things and we've set a target that we would deliver a minimum of 10,000 to a minimum of 10,000 recipients per year mm. and I'm glad to say that was exceeded every single year the minimum was 13,000 it was always ranged between thirteen and 14,000 and um, at that stage just to give you an idea where we were starting from the figures were so bad in July from January to, to July 2003 that was a 7 month period there were 23 people killed on the roads in Mead Alone? No. Alone. In in the county? In the county, 23 people. In 2004, there were 33 people, 33 killed at it. Uh, in it. In May 2005, we had was the biggest shock I ever got, and I still remember the tragic bus crash outside Navon where five young girls, five young uh, students coming home from school, lost their lives. Kentstown. In Kentstown on the Kentstown Road. Absolutely tragic. Mm. And... Uh, That finished up with 23 people being killed and then there were 20 killed in 2006, the year I started. So we started off this programme and the one thing that I will say Jerry, is that the improvement which came around in the figures to my mind is attributable in main to one group and that's the young people because we targeted every secondary school, we went to them every year. Uh, and did real safety presentations. We broke the primary schools into two halves but due to the numbers in Mead and we went to them every second year. And then we, at night time we went to football clubs, to associations, to uh, housing associations. They started looking for us eventually rather yes. than we looking for them. And uh, But the young people, by and large, 99% of them were just fantastic. They were great. it's
3: tremendous that you say that today, that you felt the education and the message you were delivering consistently over the years... It's been taken on board by these people. Absolutely. Even though young men get an awful rap now about speeding they in do. cars. They you, do. And, and
4: there's still, still some yes. of the to Absolutely, some of the matter. But by and large, I'm saying they. they on the whole. On, on the, the whole. On the main. Now, at that time, I had two ladies with me. One, Ashley Connor, she was a community guard. And the other was a young lady, uh, um, Rosaline Dolan, she was a health promotion officer with the RSA. And they bought young children of their own. They were able to relate to young children. They were able to talk the talk with them. They were absolutely fantastic and they had stayed with me for a number of years working out of hours on hours everything they were absolutely tremendous to me um, but anyway we did all lift that and uh, the first break we got if you like was that when it came down to 2009 we reduced the fatalities in mead to eight which of course was eight too many but it was such a reduction that it gave everyone a lift to go ahead and keep going with what we're at That's a tremendous it improvement was, yeah. It was yeah and, and huge, you're right
3: one any life lost on the road is it's
4: shattered. one too many. One. It's one too many. It, exactly, you know. But um, then I just give you an idea of the, the way it worked yeah. out, then, Jerry. That in the period, and I'll give you an idea in the overall scheme of things. That um, in the the average over a five year period from two thousand and four to two thousand and nine was seventeen people per year. There was eighty seven killed. Then from 2010 to 2019, which is a 10 year period, we got that down to 7.6 per year, 76 people, which was a huge reduction. And then from 2020 to date, uh, we have nine per year, uh, with a total of 36. And that's all too many people being killed, but it's a big, big improvement on what it was. And whoever takes over from me, I would certainly exhort them to continue the education programme. It's tremendous. Now, Running in tandem with that, as we were around the county, we were being told consistently about speeding in areas that the guards wouldn't have known about, and uh, also accident black spots. We had regular meetings with the engineering section and the transportation section in Mead County Council, and to their credit they took on board everything we're saying. They set a target initially for themselves that they would uh, do uh, works at three accident-prone locations every year, they would complete them, and for the first nine or ten years they never had did less than eight or nine which was huge. They dealt yeah. with huge and that made a huge difference. Then we consistently met the guards in relation to complaints we were receiving about uh, speeding and all that type of thing and in addition to their own works that they had and their own programmes that they, were on, they took that on board uh, in relation to the enforcement of mm. speeding. Uh, the one thing I'll say Jerry, that Nothing has changed in relation to the reason for accidents. Speeding is still the number one problem with accidents. Speeding, without a doubt, followed by handheld mobile phones, still a problem. Believe it or not, non-wearing a belts. I could name five or six people have died in the last three or four years in Mead if they're wearing their seatbelts to be alive today. And that's incredible in this day and it age. It is. Incredible. It really is. Alcohol is back in the equation, particularly with older people, not the younger people. And drugs driving under the influence of drugs is a problem with some young people and they are the principal ones there's no secret about why it's happening one other statistic that's worth mentioning is that in the period we're talking about there were a total of 51 single vehicle fatalities just nobody losing control of a car hitting a ditch hitting a tree hitting a wall hitting something and losing their lives and that's that shouldn't be happening you know the, oh, <coughs> okay excuse me. there will be cases where Uh, somebody something would happen Uh, something might happen run across them in a small number of guests but by and large that shouldn't be happening Mm. and it's a a worrying figure that it is 51
3: stay there Mick Mick Finnegan staying with me on late lunch want to take a a short break he is stepping down as me the road safety officer but he has a lot to say and a lot of knowledge to pass on to his successor can I put something to you as well you've gone through a number of issues there that still impact on uh, road safety and the loss of life on road It's something that's struck me in recent times. We have lots of people coming to live in Ireland, Mick, now from abroad. And we have for the last few decades. And Ireland is a changed society now. And we have a lot of recent arrivals who, you know, get going here, maybe get a car, start to drive. They're coming from countries where they drive on the opposite side of the road to us. And, you know, they're not familiar with Ireland either. We have a lot of rural roads here rather than, you know, urban or that. Is there an issue there?
4: That is a great point, Cherry. That is an excellent point, cherry because there is an issue with them. There are people coming in from different countries. They're not don't they're not familiar with the rules yes. of the road. They don't have the language here. And uh, we have come across numbers of them who are walking on the wrong side of the road. Some of them driving on the wrong side of the road. And uh, we actually did a thing there about two years ago where we got the whole rules of the road done in the Ukrainian language and distributed to them. And we distributed a couple of thousand of them throughout uh, to all the, the p- places they are ruined and they took it on board but sadly in the last couple of years we have lost 16 foreign people who came into the country Oh my 16, God 16 some yeah. of them pedestrians some of them walking on the wrong side of the road And uh, uh, like Anne said with dark clothes on them Yes but we got them high visibility jackets from the Road Safety Authority we got them the language in the the road safety uh, the rules of the road in the Ukrainian yes. language yes. and touch wood there's none of them have been killed in the last six or seven months and hopefully it'll remain but yeah. it, is a, it is a problem as well
3: yeah and, and something that needs addressing and needs to be borne in mind Please, with and it's ongoing
4: as well Jerry, because these people are consistent. they're coming all the time yes, and yes. leaving again but they are coming all the time and all these people coming in they're not familiar with the rules of the road they're not familiar with the whole scenario here in yes. relation to road safety
3: it's, it's another aspect of it yeah
4: um you
3: know, when you do reflect in your time, and honestly, when, when you mentioned those numbers earlier, the progress that was made is substantial. And we do wish the new person will continue this and, and work as hard as you have on it as well. When you look in recent times, this has raised its head again in, on a national scale, yeah, you know, with yeah. the tragedies that have happened on our roads. You know, the advertising, all the work you do and, and your uh, colleagues all around the country, the guard are involved in, as well as in enforcement and education. Will we ever reach a day when our roads become really, really safe? That, you know, these numbers are down to a minimum. We say there should be no lives lost. Can you see that happening? Or at times, as a man in the middle of it... Would you despair at times when you hear of something awful happening? Yeah,
4: you, you actually would despair at times. But everyone, including the road safety authority, they're doing their damnedest to get the message out there. But there's a cohort of people out there not taking the message on board. Uh, that is there. I honestly feel, Jerry, that going forward, the three E's, as I talked about there, if it's very basic, but it's the reality of the situation in education engineering and enforcement and if them three were adopted throughout the country I believe that you'll certainly improve the situation you mightn't solve it Mm. but you'll certainly improve it Mm. and uh, I know coming up to Christmas the Road Safety Authority issued a a minute the other day in relation to it and the vast majority of people will take that on board but you'll still have uh, incidents where you'll have speeding, you'll have drinking, driving you'll have incidents that Anne rang in about there walking on the wrong side of the road if you could get all them things right you'd be going in the right direction but uh, we, ha- you have to hope that it will improve further.
3: A caller's just been on as well to say yesterday again came across a person walking on the wrong side of the road on a dangerous stretch of road and a guy on an electric scooter on the road driving at speed towards the traffic. Surely e-scooters should be driven uh, be driven in the same direction as the traffic is going.
4: Yes, absolutely. The east scooters are a nightmare the way they're being driven. There's nothing wrong, I have nothing against them, but the way they're being driven and used on footpaths, older people. I saw an incident in Town last summer where two elderly people had to step off the footpath to facil- facilitate two young lads Flying along on these scooters on a footpath. They actually have to step off the footpath to facilitate them. They made noise behind them to indicate that we're coming. You know, mm. that shouldn't be. Um, I know that the government at the present time are t- t- trying to bring in legislation, and I hope they're in legislation too that can be enforced. Mm. You know. Uh,
3: a few issues that uh, strike me as I go along. Where do you stand on, you know, um, speed van, the van? has been placed in, in in strategic areas and of course they're talking about bringing back the fixed speed cameras yeah. as well. What's your view on those?
4: Well my view is, is that if you could reduce speeding, you'd reduce fatalities and reduce accidents straight away. So I think the speed vans, there's an increased uh, uh, use of them there for the last couple of months now. Mm. Um, there's probably not enough of them. There was guard speed vans in each division up to a few years ago. For some reason, they were taken now off there. They probably became defunct and became mm-hmm. out of out of service. But they were there and they were being used by the guards. I think there's plenty of uh, facilities to use speed and detection devices, be it fixed cameras, be it speed vans, or whatever.
3: Yeah. Um ramps in, in, in urban areas and on the approach to urban areas.
4: Yeah, ramps are, are have been put in in Mead. We've done a lot of it in schools and sadly they're a very crude way of, closing, of slowing down traffic. But, you know, the reality is they're the only way of slowing down traffic. Signage is being ignored. Um, the flashing lights, the signage, uh, it's being ignored. And sadly, ramps are the only way to slow some of them down. Mm. And I'm in favour of it, particularly in built-up areas.
3: Come back to boy races because despite all you Doing that, and you uh, you you agreed to me there earlier on as well. It's still an issue with young men in cars. It is, you know, and you know want the feeling, the need for speed, which we see glamorized. I know, and I'd often say to myself on movies of that as well. But is there anything (laughs) specific there? Let's say, Mick, I'll I'll, scenario to you: A, a, a boy racer is known in a community or an area, and he's consistently, flagrantly you know, ripping up the road yeah, down. Yeah. Is there a case for going in and taking that vehicle off that young lad and putting him off the road?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree with you entirely that there should be legislation there that if you have consistent offenders uh, by racing and putting people in danger the car should be taken off and they should be charged with dangerous driving or whatever the appropriate offences are and the car seized and taken off them. Mm. Absolutely.
3: Drug driving you know you mentioned drink driving back in in, in the older population which is shocking to to really contemplate you know, the main
4: thing happened Jerry, that during Covid uh, while the pubs were by and large closed with Covid but people started drinking in the houses and there was less control on the the amount of drink they were having and drink is back in the equation as a cause for accidents again Mm. particularly with the older generation not particularly the young people now and we're
3: coming into the Christmas season as well when people are out and about but there's no excuse in areas there's enough taxis and get a lift from a relative arrange something leave your car at the bloody place you can come back pick it up the next day.
4: There is and, and uh, people should remember that if they get caught by the guards and there's every chance they will get caught by the guards particularly in the lead up to Christmas yes. where there'll be increased enforcement. Uh, if they're convicted uh, in addition to the fine isn't a big problem at all it's a four year disqualification but on top of that if they're lucky enough to get insurance after their disqualification is up it will certainly Hit them hard, mm, they, so they it, should remember remember all them things.
3: The penalties are severe. That's the message that Mick is imparting today to everybody. There's no, there's no out of this at all. If you're got, you're done, and you're going to pay the price. You'll worth. pay a heavy price. Drug driving. That's the the other thing. Now we've been talking even last week here on the show about the cocaine ep- epidemic and that yeah. as well. You know, people recreationally well, taking this we
4: were always all telling young people that the conviction for drug driving driving under the influence of drugs is the very same as driving under the influence of alcohol and a long, lot of young people weren't aware of that but it's the very very same consequences if they're convicted and more and more of them are being detected for it and being convicted of it mm. Mick, um,
3: there's a comment just arrived from, from a listener. Well, let me see what this listener said. The only way to stop speeding is to put gadgets on cars that slow them down. In towns, uh, it's a nightmare um, as a lot uh, bypass the speed limit by far. Uh, and put the fingers up at you if you wave at them and they're, you know, uh, you know, you try and attract, I know what the listener's saying there, if you see somebody speeding and you put your hand up or say, or, you know, correct them on that, they just ignore you completely. We know they do, that, don't They we? do, yeah. yeah. Now, the, what about the, limit, the, limiting, speed limiters on cars, as that person is saying there?
4: Well, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Uh, and I believe in, in the new cars, in some of the, the foreign countries, it's been introduced at the moment. Mm. It'll probably get here, but it'll be a couple of years before it finds yeah. its way here. But absolutely a great idea. As In relation to the speed limits in general, there's a review of speed limits going on at the moment where they're talking about 30km uh, speed limits in urban areas but they'll be only successful if they're enforced.
3: Yeah, and, and that's it. You can make yeah. all the laws you want or change the limits, but they got to be enforced. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Mick Finnegan, you've done so much in your lifetime and we'll continue to hear from you in your role as Chair of uh, Mead's Age-Friendly Alliance. Please God, thank you for all you've done. Those figures speak for themselves. You've done a great job. We wish your successor all the very best, but it won't be the last we'll hear from Mick Finnegan. What a man of knowledge and experience. Thank you so much for joining me on Late Lunch Day and happy Christmas and New Year to you and yours. The Mick. same
4: to you, Jerry, and all your staff. And can I just say before I finish up that uh, LMF, uh, LMFM have been a huge benefit in relation to the promotion of road safety.
3: Thank you so much indeed yeah. for your kind words. Thanks again, Mick. My next guest has produced a wonderful book. It's called 320 Shades of Greens, an Irish golfer's passion Pat Smith is with me on late lunch this afternoon. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Sherry. Thank, thank you for joining me. Thank
3: you for having Not me. Not at all. As a golfer, I really enjoyed your book because let me tell listeners the story of this book. This man who's with me today has played every one of these 320 courses in Ireland, included them in this book, written about each of them and given them a rating as well. You started this in what, 2011, was it? 2011. 2011. And I retired it? in
1: at the end of 2010 and went on tour, as they call it, <laughs> in 2011.
3: You worked in the health service. Wasn't I did. Before yeah. You 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 got out of there and went on tour in 20, 2011 to 2016. Yes, five and a half years, going round Ireland, playing all these. Touring and
1: throwing from north, south, east, west, all the time, waiting for good weather.
3: <laughs> yeah, golf in Ireland, you need good weather for sure, and it's not always easy. The reason, that, that, right, that was 2011 to 2016. We're in 2023 now, seven years on. Correct. You had to wait, had you? I sent it
1: to a few, five publishers. Okay. Uh, a couple of years ago. But none of them seemed interested. I didn't get a reply from three and two did reply saying that it didn't suit their publishing. Okay. So then... I spoke with one or two people who knew about self-publishing, Pat Ruddy in Dublin and the European Club being one of them. Oh, yeah. And he advised me because he had published some books himself. And I began to look into that, but I wasn't sure even much. I didn't know much about self-publishing. Yeah. So I had to go and do a bit of research on it as well. Mm. And it wasn't until a friend of mine in Royal Tara, where I'm a member, Ray, uh, put me in touch with a man by the name of Paul Murphy who had done his own book. And he offered me some advice as well. Nice. And thankfully, his son is a wiz- wizard on the computer, Brian. And he put together the display work, yeah. which I was very pleased with. And he helped me in the last four months doing a tremendous amount of work
3: in formatting, display, editing. It's great. And well done to the Morphys. We know uh, Paul and Brian yes. well. Uh, and I have to say, they've produced a wonderful book. It Thank really you. is a terrific effort, I have to say. Now, the other thing that delayed you, you had to wait till 2022, which was last year, to play Hogshead. Correct. So that was the missing piece, was it? It was one of the missing pieces. I... Traveled to Waterville back in
1: 2015 mm. and I played Waterville on two occasions. But when I went up to H- Skellig's Bay, it was known at the time, it was closed. It had just been purchased, closed and purchased by two fairly wealthy Americans. Yes. And it, they revamped it and didn't reopen it for two or three years. Mm. So I had it took me seven years to get back <laughs> down to Hogs to Waterville last October 12 months with my brother Kevin. And I played it then, uh, along with a man man I met, he caddied for me actually, a man by the name of Conor Marr, who was in fact the 22 captain of Waterville
3: yes so there you are so that's the other reason why the book was held back until exactly. Hogshead was included you do talk about it quite a number of courses as well in the period you started this project that have gone and disappeared we all know that with that's the right. Celtic Tiger collapse and other reasons and a lot of courses have not been viable and, and you talk about those in, in the book as well when you went playing you mentioned weather there obviously was there any other courses you went to that you couldn't play on the day when you hoped to play them because of weather or something else no,
1: I'd ring up and book a, okay. a tea time. So that
3: was smooth? Fairly smooth,
1: yeah. Yeah, so you, you weren't denied he goes? No. You didn't go alone. You had plenty of company. My late. My most frequent... Uh, travel partner is my brother Kevin and okay. still is when we go travelling around Yes, but other people join me as well and I have their names mentioned in <laughs> the are, all there.
3: too many to mention today on the radio but they're all in the book you're all there if you played <laughs> any of these courses with Pat Smith yeah, over the course of his journeys you're in the book I can, I, I can assure you Um you know, when you play them all, you have such a, a feeling now for all. And they're all the 18 whole courses Correct. that we have here in Ireland. And we yeah. have lots of great courses in our bailiwick here. Loud and mead, you know yeah. yourself, between yeah. Lynx courses, wonderful and Parkland Parkland's, courses yeah. as well. You're a member of Royal Tara, but you started, was Headford was your first member? My first
1: membership was in Headford back in the mid-70s. Okay, And I was there, I worked in Kells at the time, I see. having started in the help Orders as it was at the time. Yeah. And a couple of my colleagues were members of Hedford, so I joined Hedford when I was about 21 or two, played for a couple of years, but then the job took over and I moved out of Meath for a number of years, so I had to relinquish my membership in Hedford at the time mm-hmm. and spent four years working in Kilkenny, again in the Southeastern Yeah, And I joined Callan Golf Course for a short while, while I was in Kilkenny, okay. but I was doing so much travelling with my wife up and down to Navan, where yes. we're both from originally yes. I didn't get the opportunity to play a lot of golf during those years, mm. which was sad in a way because I lost the ability to reduce the handicap <laughs> but it was, uh, living in Kilkenny was a lovely experience yeah. and I came back up to Mead, then, work in Dublin actually, but I came back up in, to live in Mead and I re- rather than rejoin Hedford, I rejo- I joined right Royal Tara. Tara. Lovely club. I thought it was more convenient yes, from a yes, work of course. point of view. Yeah?
3: So you're a member there now yeah. and, and have been for quite a number of years. Since the mid eighties. Yes. I mentioned some of those clubs that disappeared and I have to mention one today because I remember playing my early golf in this place. Moor Park. Yes. And I'm telling you, there are lots of people listening to us today, Pat, mm. who would have began their golfing journey in Moor Park as well. And when yeah. you pass it now, yes, closed. it's closed. It's, it's, clo- it's closed. Yes, yeah. It's <laughs> it one of the 33 that has closed yes. in the last 12 years. 33. No, 12 or 14 that. years. When you think about that, the amount yeah. of course and others teetered on the brink and just about survived. Um, I, I'm going to ask you this, and you'll go mad when I ask you this. I know you go will. On. I said today, but I'm going. To, I'm going to insist anyway. Three hundred and twenty golf courses. You played them all. Three hundred and twenty-two.
1: Actually, okay. I rounded the number Did because you? I'm, i for the cover. I, for so the, the cover. Three,
3: okay, let's. We won't fall out over two courses, right? <laughs> exactly. So, if I said to you today, pick one of those courses that you. No, not really. Not allowed to say Royal Tower, even though I know you'd love to say it. You'll get life membership there. Um, pick if you were to go back to one course of the three twenty-two. Come on, name one course that you say I'll go back there. I could name several, but
1: I'll name Tralee. I think Tralee is a brilliant Lynx course. It's beautiful dunes, beautiful fairways, everything. It's been upgraded in recent times. Uh, it's a fabulous Lynx course, and it's one of my favourites.
3: There you go. Yeah. Well you're going to get are you listening truly? this man has just given you the biggest endorsement on Irish radio today but I've heard it mentioned before I have to say in passing by other people too. There are other great ones oh, as well. Oh of course there's wonderful courses. What, what about a parkland
1: if you were to pick a parkland? Well I believe that the best parkland now and I was on it last year for the JP McManus charity event that took place last year in July is the Adair Golf Resort Adair Golf and Country Resort in uh, just adjacent to Adair there are two go- courses together in Adair yeah. but there's the newer Golf Resort and then there's the old Adair yeah. and they're, they're quite different mm. uh, in, in, So it's the new where the Ryder Cup is going to be where the Ryder Cup is going to be in 27 and we were on it last year for the JP McManus uh, charity gig it was very well attended but it's now what I would consider to be an Irish Augusta because the manicuring is second to none I played it
3: did you? I did. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to play that, and while I tell you a little story, I agree with you. Actually, some of the fairways would be as good as greens on other courses, and I don't. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. The fair, would actually, but you know what? I have to tell you this, and I'm proud of this. I birdied the first. Really? Should so have packed me bag and went <laughs> and home. Went home. <laughs>
1: Well, I haven't played it since it was revamped and uh, manicured. Oh, my but God. But I, ha- I did play it about five, six years ago, yes. a couple of times. Mm. But I—it's my brother and I are planning to go down
3: at
5: some stage,
3: <laughs> s- suck up the green fee and just pay it. <laughs> but you'll never have an experience like it. Can you talk to me a, a moment about the rating system you use yes. in the book, please, for each of the courses? Just tell listeners about that. You have your own system of rating here. Yeah, So. The-
1: there are me- I'm in the introduction section of the book. I list many categories for rating, but you couldn't use them all. No, so I opted for seven, and the first one is CD course design. Yeah, greens, fairways, bunkers, uh, memorability, yeah. presentation, uh, appeal, scenery, and location, the facilities of the golf course, yes. and the golfing experience. All rated out of one hundred. Yeah, the first two are rated out of twenty. Um, then 5 out of 10 and the last
3: one, golfing experience, out of 20 again. I just see hugs the head there with yeah. a 91 yes. score it's like that. It's a fine that's a course. phenomenal score, isn't it, yeah. uh, like to give out. But look, I think you're very, I have to say to you about, it, I've read several of of, of the uh, reviews and more or less you review the course. Uh, yes. Each course gets a, a, a page in the book and then the rating at the bottom and I think you've been very fair. May I Thank say. you.
1: Well, no, I try to be. Yeah. I try to be. It's hard to be objective sometimes. Yeah. Um. When you're doing courses, some you will like more than others, and it's. I try to give them a fair rating at all times. Yes. And I also try to find the positive aspects of each course. Yeah. Ra- the, there might be some negative ones, but I did my best to avoid uh, negativity in the reports because yeah. I wanted to give each course a fair review and. Royal County County Down. down. I played it this summer
5: for the first time I did.
3: And I see you've given it a 96 and I ain't one bit surprised. Yes, it's a fine course. It's a fine course. We had a caddy with us going around. It was such a wonderful... Wonderful help. Royal Port Rush is there as well. a 95, another one I'm familiar with. Pat Smith is with me on late launch. I love his book. 320 Shades of Greens, An Irish Golfer's Passion. This man has played all 322 18-hole courses in Ireland. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot again. You ready for this? Yes, go on. Uh, you did come up trumps with naming your favourite courses, uh, Links and Parkland. If I were to ask you, a memorable hole or two from all these 322. If you were to say, I'll, I'll I ha- always remember those. I two. have a Give few. Me two. Have you? Well, go on, go well, ahead.
1: The, the first one would be the first hole from an elevated tee on the strand course in Port Stewart. It's, to my mind, one of the best starting holes in golf. And I'll name a second great starting hole is in Scrabble in County Down. Uh it's the first hole, and in the distance, it's the Scrabble Tower, and it's lined by gorse on both sides, and it's an absolutely fabulous starting hole. Mm. And I'll name one more, just
3: one, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: uh, if you have the time. I we have, and that is Dune Beg, first hole. It's a par five, mm. and I just love the hole. It's, it's the green sits in uh,
3: a tunnel of. of High Yes, it's,
1: and it's an absolutely fabulous hole.
3: What about a par tree? Everybody loves the par oh. trees, Pat. Could you remember? A, there's a par tree stick in your mind? Because I, I remember in particular, um, you know, there are a few great par trees on the links here along the coast as well in Baltray Sea Point has a wonderful uh, par tree on the way in near, uh, on the back nine as well, a, an amazing little hole. Anything sticking in your mind with the par trees? Yes,
1: there's one that is one of my favourites. It's in McCredden in Wicklow. And it's the fourth hole from a very elevated tee, possibly the most elevated tee for a part three in the country. Mm. And all you can see in the distance is the green. And you just, it's a beautiful, beautiful hole.
3: do you know the course at the Sugarloaf? Or uh, the Sugarloaf overlooks? It, uh, what's the name? Parcours Court. The, they've just no, they've just revamped it and reopened it. Uh, oh,
1: Druids Druidsland. I beg yeah. your
3: pardon. Should I? I was. I. I had corporate membership through another lifetime. I yeah. had with another employer there. and We used to play it regular. Do you remember the par three there up in the height? And your shoot, it's right down underneath you. It's a That's par-tree. right. You're way it's up. The twelfth hole. Actually, it was in the lottery ad for years. You know your man yes. hitting the ball and went around the place.
1: It's in. Oh, it's the twelfth hole, yeah, in in, hole in Druid's. Incredible hole there. In it's in a, a lovely par three. It's a beautiful.
3: With water beside the green. Absolutely. You have to be very accurate. Oh my God almighty. Indeed you do. Um, To do this, I I didn't ask you this question. What put this afoot? Why did you do this? Why did you decide to go round? I'm
1: glad you asked me that because that's also in the, I've listed my reasons in the introduction section of the book. I went, in the early 90s, uh, my good lady wife and patient lady wife Dinah. we went on a weekend trip a long weekend trip to Galway and she's not a golfer but she didn't mind me going out playing three early morning games of golf in Galway itself Barna and Utheraard and I enjoyed that experience so much playing the early morning golf I said to myself I'm going to try and play many more courses around the country so up to the time I retired at the end of 2010, I had played 140 courses around the country and I knew at some stage I had made up my mind I'm going to try and play them all. And it was during that early part of the touring, playing the 140, that I had made up my mind I was going to play them all. (laughs) And I did. And I went, not only did I play about 200 and... Twenty more additional courses, but I went back to most of the one hundred and forty. Yes. So as so that I could write enough to be sure.
3: To be sure, I know, an, and an I know you did that. Viewing. I know yeah. you did that as well. Yeah. Did you have a, a modus operandi or a, a plan? Did you attack it in any particular fashion? Not initially. I, I at, when I retired and went on
1: tour, as I call it, I played thirty courses, new courses in twenty eleven a disappointing 14 in 2012 and I knew I had to have a more strategic strategy if I wanted to finish it sooner rather than later. So I set myself for each of the three following years much higher targets of travelling and playing the new courses I hadn't played. So I managed through a combination of more travel, sometimes playing two courses in one day. I played 50 in 2013 44 in 2014 and 62 in 2015. Mm. So I was almost finished at the end of 2015 with about 20 left to play. Mm. And I managed to play them. The weather at times delayed me because in my older age I don't like wet golf. I much prefer dry golf as most golfers do. And I'd always wait for three or four days, five days, sometimes a week to travel in a particular location taking in four, five, six courses in the one area. Yes. Maybe two neighbouring counties, but always in the one area.
3: One course a day?
1: Never played more than one a day? No, no, I played on 14 occasions in 2015. I played two courses. By getting up early in the morning at six, (laughs) being on the tee at eight o'clock. Yes. Sometimes maybe a two hour drive, being on the tee at eight o'clock. And I did that on numerous occasions with a pal Darren. And we travelled about 14 times in the one year and played two courses, morning and afternoon.
3: Good on you. Now, this book, let's get to the nub of the matter. Uh, the Leopardstown Inn, this week on the 7th, uh, you're having a launch there at 7 o'clock. It's 7 o'clock And indeed. then in your home club, Royal Tara, it's 5 o'clock on the 17th of December, you're having the launch there. Correct. Where can people get this book? The,
1: the, there's a ne- I have an email address somewhere, um, Shades of Green, Ireland, at gmail.com. Okay. Write to that address. Okay. And I'll get you the, send the book to you. Uh, but I, because it's self-published, all the books are in storage in my house or my brother's house. So I'll have the next phase of this project is to do marketing in every club in the country.
3: All right. Well, listen, uh, good luck to you with that next phase. Shades, shades of Ireland. Shades of Green. Shades of Green. Ireland at gmail.com. Shades
1: of Greens. Ireland. Greens, sorry, shades,
3: shades of Greens Ireland at, at gmail.com dot com. That's the uh, address to get the book. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to hold on to it for myself. I love the book. Congratulations and thank best you, wishes Pat Smith. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for Saturday. having me. Thank you. Mick Finnegan with us earlier on in the show and just a comment there from a listener. Please put a circle on the N33 at the T-junction from Castleguard Manor along the railway walk Highly dangerous and really needs to be looked at. Thanks indeed for highlighting that to us on the show today. Somebody delighted with their prize they won recently to the fairways. Glad you enjoyed it. And somebody else saying, great to hear Mick Finnegan on about the dangers on the roads. Uh, and uh, there are a number of people complimenting Mick on his time in the job there. Now, each day on late lunch this week, we have uh, a voucher for €50 Euros giveaway to Millbrook Market, Kennedy Road, Navin. And you can stock up on all your Christmas foodie treats there. They have amazing desserts, cakes, hampers and a selection of party foods. And gluten free products too, and a gift voucher would go down a treat this Christmas time for sure. My question today was they stocked the lovely panettone, a sweet bread and fruit cake. Cake. Where did it originate, I wondered? Italy is the answer I was looking for on the winner today. Is Bernard Heaney from Clan Mellon. Well done to you. We'll have another fifty euro voucher to give away for Millbrook on the show tomorrow afternoon. Um light the fire. Faith, Hope, and Love is happening starting this evening uh, for the next three evenings at Our Lady of Lourdes Church in Drahada. That's St Peter's Parish. And it features Dana, Jer Brennan, Kieran Clark, and Martin Purdy speaking about their faith. And it's open to all. That's Our Lady of Lourdes Church in Drahada this evening, tomorrow, and the following evening. Everybody, welcome there. And our campaign here on LMFM Radio is running again this week. That's the 16 Days of Action Against Domestic Violence. It's a global campaign, but it really affects women here in Ireland. One in three have experienced psychological violence, one in six physical. And anyway, we here on LMFM Radio. We're supporting Women's Aid on Dog, Trahada Women and Children's Refuge and Meath Women's Refuge, highlighting their work and support services for victims of domestic abuse, and they need our support financially, that is. And you can donate anything you can would be appreciated. Log on to idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser forward slash LMFM, and we'll be continuing our focus on the campaign here on the radio station this week across our various shows. Now, let's let this roll for Monday on Late Lunch.
5: Five, four, three, two. counting
3: down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear and today it's the number five from this week in 1979 and again it's a cracking top five as we come towards the end of the year well the song at number five today moved no higher on the UK charts that was it it got to five No more progress after that. In the US, it didn't chart at all in the main charts, but it did make it uh, to number eight in the dance charts in the States. It's from uh, their album called Cuba, which was also released in 79. The third single, the most successful by far. They're a French musical group. If you remember this one, you were a disco diva back then. Yes, it's the number five from this week in 79 from the Gibson Brothers. Gibson Brothers and Que será mi vida, the number five from this week in 1979, and it was a massive disco hit in its day for sure. Up next on Late Lunch, after a final break this Monday afternoon, we hear how AI technology has facilitated the recreation of the music of Tommy Riley. That's Kel, singer, songwriter, uh, singing his uh, song there. Yes, it's an amazing achievement, really, because you see, Tommy Riley was involved in a very serious car accident on the way home from a gig back in February 22, and he can't sing anymore. But that song is just new and it's about to be released. How has it happened? To tell us more, James Quinn is on the line. Afternoon, James. Uh, Hello, how are you doing? I'm really good. We're familiar with what the Beatles did with their release of Now and Then recently, uh, a single released years and years after it was recorded using artificial intelligence. I take it you've applied the same to Tommy?
5: It was a very similar process. Um, We are currently running a fundraiser for Tommy and Tommy's family uh, got in touch with me a couple of weeks back and uh, Tommy, was a, Tommy used to write some songs and Tommy had a, rough, a couple of rough songs that he did over COVID and they asked me would one of the singers maybe sing one of the songs on the night but as you can hear Tommy has a very unique voice so I came up with the idea that maybe we would try and extract Tommy's voice from one of the demos that they had and see if we could do something with that so that's where it, where it started so um, so that voice, the voice that you heard there on the recording that was Tommy's voice that we extracted from, mm. um, from the demo that he did um, where we had to we had to extract his voice. He had some guitars and shakers and that kind of stuff on it, but we managed to extract enough of it to um, to do the recording.
3: Terrific! Yeah, you've done a wonderful job. And uh, Jam Studios, we got to mention in Kells because that's where all the magic happened.
5: Uh, that's right. Well, myself and my brother Mark own Jam Studios in yeah. Kells, yeah. Um, and we would have been good friends of Tommy's anyway. Um, and unfortunately, Tommy was supposed to come in to record some of those songs with us. And then he unfortunately had his accident, so that that wasn't going to happen. So, um, so that was kind of why I had I had the idea in the first place that maybe we could try and do this. We weren't sure if it was going to work, but it mm. it worked out pretty pretty well.
3: Mm. So you extract him singing there, and then marry that in with the uh, the musical or the, the instrumentation be, that that is behind the song there. Yes.
5: Yeah. So what we did what what we did was we took his voice, and then um, I managed to. Uh, put a click track to his voice and get it into time. So then we have drum, drums, bass. We have a lot of a couple of guitars on it, piano, Hammond organ. There's a mandolin on it. So managed to get a full track on it. We even put harmonies on it as well. So um, and it was something for Tommy as well because Tommy was aware that we were doing this, mm. um, and he actually got to hear it last Monday. And the family said he's absolutely thrilled. Yes, because um, he hadn't had anything properly recorded before.
3: And he, he, he can, as I said in the introduction, there he just can't sing himself at the moment. So this is amazing that this could be revived and put out there and released. Now, he, he needs a lot of care. He needs a, a lot of help over the weeks, months and years ahead. And besides this uh, miracle with his voice and the new single, you have a big fundraiser coming up.
5: We have a fundraiser in Kells uh, this coming Thursday. It's in, the, in St. Column Kells Church in Kells. And um, we have a couple of friends of ours that are coming to do a Christmas concert to try and raise some funds for Tommy. So we have Liam Lawton, um, we have Deirdre Gilson. And Deirdre was uh, the main singer with Riverdance and Lord of the Dance. Uh, we have Brendan McCahey. Brendan was the um, won the voice of Ireland yes. back in 2016, I think. Um, we have a local girl, Lauren Carroll. She's a fantastic singer. She actually represented Ireland, I think, in, in the junior Eurovision at one stage. Um, and we have a couple of other special guests and we have a a great band as well on stage full kids choir coming in as well so it should be a good night um, and we'd be great if anyone was uh, interested in coming in to support it but it will be a great night um, and for for a good cause as well And
3: the tickets are available where? Can you pay on the door or, or can you get them beforehand?
5: So you can pay on the door. Uh, the tickets are available on Eventbrite. If you go to All for Tommy, you'll find the link there for Eventbrite. Uh, and they're also available in Colm Kills Church in the office and in uh, Cahill McEntees and Kells and also available in uh, Cranross as well in the local shop. So. Um, tickets are going well but yeah there is tickets going to be available on the night and if anyone wants to get one they are available on Eventbrite as well
3: there you are wonderful night's entertainment ahead of the Christmas this Thursday the 7th of December in St Column Kills Church in Kells and all for a wonderful man who needs every bit of help he can get we wish you well uh, with the evening wish Tommy well and his family well too and well done on uh, using this technology for the good to engineer uh, the, the music of Tommy Riley and keep it alive. Thank you for joining me on the show today, James. That's great. Thank you very much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's James Quinn there. and well, well worth supporting if you can. Louise, I meant to say uh, on, on the show earlier on today, you didn't happen to see that story the weekend where a 70-year-old, 70, 70, S70, seven decades, woman gave birth to twins.
0: I saw something, but I didn't read into it. But I saw her face.
3: Oh my god. Seventy she didn't look stressed right, years did she? Of, uh, n- No, she didn't. But my God almighty. She lives in Kampala in Uganda. Safina is her name. And uh I, I I just despair. When I when I see a story like that, I despair. At seventy years of age, mm. in the name of God, what,
5: what's the
0: world
3: coming to? Oh well More with with the uh, IVF and
0: you can do anything yeah really? it, it
3: seems uh, but at 70 uh, to be a mother you know what I mean in the name of God no 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 actually. no 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 No, not at all I just think it's one of the craziest stories I, I've read this year and just to mention for the Guinness Storehouse as well uh, famous Visited most visited one of the most visited spots in Ireland, if not the most visited. uh, The Guinness Storehouse has been named as the world's leading tourist attraction. More people visiting it than the Taj Mahal and places like that. Wow, it's a hell of an endorsement. Must be the Guinness, obviously. Oh, well, sure, it has to be the porter. (laughs) What else? But it's a good experience. I've done. Have you ever done it? Never. Ah, you should. Never been. Ah, it's a lovely experience. It's an amazing. Isn't there a restaurant area at the top or something? Isn't it? There's the Gravity Bar at the yeah. top where they yeah. say you get the best pint of Guinness in the country. Would you agree? <laughs> it's nice. It is nice, actually. Deirdre Hurley had her a wedding. wedding celebration mm. there, hadn't she? Mm. A celebration yep. uh, uh, of her wedding there, um, and it was. She uh, likes Guinness. Yes. Mm. Yes. I she don't. Does. <laughs> she does. <laughs> and uh, I and just it, about drink it with some blackcurrant <laughs> in it, and I know. For Guinness drinkers, I've just destroyed it all now. Feels. Heresy! Yes, sorry, you've just committed a heresy. But I know it introduces people to tasting it as well. But anyway, the Guinness Storehouse, a um, wonderful attraction in the heart of Dublin, named Best in the World. To conclude late lunch this Monday afternoon, Eddie Caffrey is coming next with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Do stay with us. We'll be back with your late lunch Tuesday from one thirty. Have a nice evening.